Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Well, let's jump into what we're talking about today. We are in this series called Running with the Giants. This is week six of it. And through this series, what we're doing is we are looking at heroes of faith who have now gone on to heaven, and and, uh, we're looking at their lives and learning more about our Bibles in the process and allowing their lives to speak to us and to be an encouragement to us. And over the past couple weeks, we've pulled many different heroes out of the stands as they're watching us. We pulled them out of the stands and, and, and allowed them to speak to us. And last week, my wife actually was here and, and uh, spoke on, this, on Esther and gave it an encouraging word. Uh, how many of you were encouraged by my wife and the message she shared last week? Awesome. It's great. I, I, she heard many, from many different people, a, a lot of women and even men, about how they were encouraged by Esther's story and, and what she shared last week, especially, specifically, she got this one text message from a young lady who said, you know what, not only was I blessed, but my husband uh, was encouraged as well, and, uh, and he decided to do something very biblical, and, he, and, and she sent her to get a, um, a, a, a um, yeah, thank you, pedicure, to get, a, <laughs> to get a pedicure, and she sent my wife a picture of her feet getting done and said, there you go, he was following after Jesus, he's doing, doing what you said to do and being a godly man, so anyway. Just uh, well done, well done, whoever that was, and, uh, and so we hope you were blessed by that. This week, we're going to pull out a new hero of the faith, and let's look at our key verse real quick. It's Hebrews 12.1. It says, therefore, since we are surrendered, or surrounded excuse me, by such a great cloud of witnesses, in other words, that's these heroes that have gone on to heaven. They're, they're in heaven with God now, and they're looking down, watching us as we run our race. The Bible refers to our lives as a race that we are running. And they're watching us, and since they're watching us, it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I love that this is here in the Bible because it helps us understand that God does not have an expectation that you and I will be perfect. What he has is is an expectation that we'll figure out how to do, how to get free from those things, that we're willing to go through the process that it takes to free ourselves from the sin that so easily entangles and the stuff that hinders us. That's habits and attitudes and, and even sinfulness. And, and sometimes that's not easy to figure out. Like, I, I'm sure there's been plenty of you that have been stuck in an area of your life and you needed somebody with some insight, somebody that had been through it before to speak to that thing in your life so that you could get free. And that's really what this series is about. We're, we're calling those, those people, those heroes of the faith, out of the stands and allowing them to speak to some stuff in our lives. Because, man, when you're in the thick of things, it's hard to see how to get free sometimes. It's hard to understand how to get untangled. But these people that have been through it before can help us. And, and the reason they're going to help us is so that we can run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, I think that's important, and that's really where we're going to focus today. Because I think there's many here in this room today that are not running with perseverance. You're wore out. You're tired by the race that you're running. And today's message would be an encouragement to you. And it, it's Joseph that we're going to pull out of the stands because Joseph understands why you're getting tired. And he would encourage you today. If you don't know his story, let me give you some of it, some history, since you understand who Joseph is. Joseph, uh, his story takes place in the book of Genesis. That's in your Old Testament. And his story takes up approximately half of the book of Genesis. 
Joseph was the 11th born son to a man named Jacob, who, by the way, just to add out, I throw out a few more names for you, Jacob's name would later be, be changed to the name Israel, which is where all the people, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Israel become the Jewish nation. And so Jacob has a son named Joseph, and uh, <coughs> he is the 11th born to Jacob. But there's something special about, about Joseph. There's something special about his dad, too. Jacob is the son of Isaac, and Isaac was the son of Abraham. We talked about Abraham a few weeks ago. So, so this is second generation away from Abraham, the man who God said, hey, listen, you're going to have as many relatives as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Like, you're going to have that many people. So this is all flowing through that. You're seeing that promise fulfilled here. That's why it's special. And Jacob has this son, Joseph. He has, Jacob has two wives, one wife that he did not love, Leah, which was the wife that he loved, Rachel's sister. Following with me, you trekking with me? Two wives. How a man does that is beyond me. I don't know. I love my wife, but I'm glad I got one. Amen. Amen. That's right. And, and Jacob has these two wives, one that he loved, the other he did not. And he has 10 sons with the wife he did not love, but he finally has a boy with the one that he does. And so he dotes on the boy. He favors him. He, he prefers him. He gives him preferential treatment. Even, even gave him a coat, a coat of many colors, which would have been expensive and elaborate for the times, especially the desert area that they lived in. But they did not give that to the rest of the brothers, only to Joseph. And so, of course, there's this sibling rival, rivalry that comes out of this. And if you, were, if you grew up in Sunday school like I did, if you had an awesome childhood, your parents drugged you to church on Sunday mornings, then you sat in a Sunday school classroom, they had what they called like a flannel board. And they had these little characters, they would stick to that flannel board. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So you're familiar with this story, Joseph and the coat of many colors. And so, jo so, so there's this sibling rivalry between the brothers because of the preferential treatment he's getting from dad. And on top of that, Joey has this dream. He has this dream that is from God. And he believes, like, man, this is really going to be awesome. God spoke to him. And he's like, man, my, my life is going to be very different than it is now. But from the moment that he had that dream, his life went in the total opposite direction of the dream. And it did that for 23 years. And so today's message is for those whose life isn't going the way that you thought it would go. It's not going the way that you felt like God told you it would go. It's not going the way that you you planned for it to go. Everything seems headed in the wrong direction. And this message is, is for anyone that is ready to check out. Whether you're ready to check out emotionally, spiritually, relationally, maybe your marriage is headed in the wrong direction. You're ready to tap out. Maybe it's financially. You, you, can't, you can't find the ends to, to, to make a meet. You, can, you, can't, you don't have two pennies to rub together and you're stressed. You're ready to tap out. Or maybe it's in your career, man. You just keep getting passed over for an opportunity and you're ready to be all done. I'm not, I'm not sure, but Joseph is gonna run a lap with us and his encouragement would be for when life isn't turning out the way that you planned, don't give up on your dreams. Now, this message is not about the last part of that statement. I'm not, this message is not about dreams, although we could do a message about dreams. This isn't really about that. This is really about the first three words. Don't give up. Don't give up. Because all of us have dreams. Every single one of us have them. And we, at, from time to time, are tempted to give up on them. 
And maybe that's you. Maybe that's you right now. You're, you're in that place. You want to give up. You're ready to check out. And, and this message is for you. But even if you're not in that place right now, I'm going to encourage you. This message is for you. Take notes. Because here's what I know. Someday you will be. Someday you'll be in a place where you're discouraged and you're going to need these notes. You're going to need this encouragement. So take notes. You're like, my God, Aaron, be positive. All right? I'm positive. You're going to need encouragement. <laughs> because life is an up and down zigzag process. It is all over the place. It is not always going to be everything's on the mend and everything is well. I hate to break it to you, but life is like that. It goes up and down. And you're going to have days where you're going to want to quit. And you're going to need some encouragement. Earlier this year, I had some days earlier this year, my wife and I went through some stuff. And I looked at her and as a result of this stuff, which by the way was a result of, of my humanity making some mistakes, doing what I thought was the best thing and the best situation, and it really went south and went the opposite direction that I wanted it to go. And as a result, we wound up in some relational pain. And I looked at my wife through the middle of all that, and you know what I said? I said, I'm done. I'm out. I don't want this anymore. I didn't mean to cause that situation. I don't want that kind of pain in my life ever again. I'm out. And I thank God that I didn't give up. I thank God that I was able to be encouraged that I didn't quit. But we all have moments like that. We all have moments where life isn't going to go as you imagined that it would, where something goes south and the good thing you thought you were doing wasn't received well or the progress you were making gets hindered or the, the opportunity is suddenly taken away or the favor you previously had seems to have disappeared or the the close friend turns their back. Whatever the situation is, you find yourself beginning to say and think, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm out. And if that's where you're at today, if you've experienced that, this message is for you. It's to encourage you. Let's look at the story. This is found in Genesis 37. This is where we're going to pick up the story about Joey. <coughs> it says in verse 5, Joey had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Now Listen. They didn't hate him because of the dream. There was already some tension and some sibling rivalry between the brothers because of the preferential treatment he was getting from dad. No, after he tells them the following dream, they hated him all the more. This is what put him over the top. This is what got them so angry with him they were ready to kill him. This is what happened. He said, he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Basically, he's painting a picture of these sheaves. This, these are, this, is, this is stuff they're harvesting. And he said, hey, mine stood up and yours bowed down. He's painting a picture and saying, someday you guys are going to bow down to me. Now, being the youngest brother among the 11, this would never have happened. And it was insulting to them the way he said it, but he's just sharing his dream. Hey, God told me this. I, I think this is what's going to happen. And, and none of them were impressed. They were mad. They were upset with him. And from that point on, they conspired how to get rid of him. They wanted to kill him. Sometime later, <coughs> Joseph's brothers are out in the field. And their dad's like, hey, I want you to go out and check on your brothers. We haven't heard from them in a few days. And so Joey heads off to check out on his brothers. And they see him coming from a long way off. And this is what they say. Here comes that dreamer. You know, people will start talking about you when God gives you a dream for your life. People will start, they'll, they'll drop your name and start referring to you in some way that makes them feel better about themselves. 
Here comes that dreamer. Here comes that person that believes the impossible. Here comes that Christian. Here comes that Christ follower. They'll start referring to you in a way that denigrates your dream and your vision and God's plan and purpose for your life. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns and say that a, a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. They wanted to step in. They wanted to stop it. He said, we'll see. So Joseph has this dream from God, and he shares it with his brothers, which he probably shouldn't have done. And from that moment on, his life headed in the opposite direction. And it continued in the opposite direction for 23 years. 23 years. And I think Joseph has earned the right to encourage us today. And his message would be clear. Don't give up. Don't give up. And I think there's four things he'd tell us about our dreams and not giving up. First, he'd say, don't give up on your dream, even if you didn't start well. Even if you didn't start off well, don't give up on your dreams. Many of you here today have allowed your future to be defined by your past. You've allowed who, the potential you to be squashed because of the previous you. You said, well, I know what I've done. I know where I've been. I know the things that I've said. I know the people that I've crushed. I know the, the, things, the people that I've hurt and the situations that I've caused, the drama that I've started. And because of all that, I can't do X. I can't do this. You, you've allowed your future to be determined by your past. But I'm here to tell you that's not how God works. God does not allow your future to be determined by your past. In fact, God did everything he could to settle your past. That's why he sent Jesus. Jesus comes and he forgives your past. And then God comes alongside and cleanses you. Because here's the thing. When you make a mess, sometimes you get it all over you. And even though you get removed out of the mess, you're still a little dirty. And so God cleans you up. So he forgives you. He cleanses you. And then he does something incredible. You all remember them, them, those Etch-A-Sketches or the Magna Doodles, kids' toys? Man, I remember. I, I used to make, make beautiful things on those, do kind, all kind of drawings. And I'd just be sitting at the table minding my own business. And my brother, he's sitting right over there. Uh-huh. He's sitting right over there. I'd be minding my own business. And he'd come by and one finger swoop, that Magna Doodle. You just, you just slide that thing to the right, whoosh, everything gone everything gone. Or he'd come by if I was working on an Etch-A-Sketch and he'd either just pound the table because, you know, as soon as, it, as soon as it starts shaking, the image is gone. He tormented me. <laughs> That's my dad. <laughs> my brother's over here. My dad's over there. What's that tell you? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We love you and, and he's there and we're all fine. We're all good. <laughs> Look, my mom was about to get up and go sit with him. She's leaving my dad. She, nope, nope. <laughs> but God does what that Magna Doodle does. When you swipe that Magna Doodle, it's all gone. It's not like stored in a memory bank. You can't get it back. And when God forgives, he also forgets. It's gone. It's never coming back. That's what God does. But that, that's not what the devil does, though. The devil's the one who's the accuser. That's part of his job resume. That's what he does. And he comes to you and he accuses you. He reminds you of the stuff you've done wrong. He reminds you of your past, and the reason that he does that is to prevent you from moving forward. It's kind of like this guy who was in this pet store, and he's wandering around, and this parrot sees him, and he says, hey, you. And the guy says, me? He says, yeah, you. Come here. 
The guy walks up to the parrot and he says, yeah? He says, the parrot says to him, he says, you've got to be the ugliest thing I've ever seen. Well, the guy was a little offended. So he goes to the shop owner and he says, do you hear what your bird just said to me? The shop owner comes over to the parrot, thumps it on the beak and says, you can't talk to my guests that way. We'll lose business. This place will shut down. Can't do that. The guy leaves, comes back about 30 days later. He's in the shop again. The parrot's there. He goes, hey, you. The guy says, me? He says, yeah, come here. The guy comes up and he says, yeah? And the parrot leans in and says, you know. (laughs) I think that's the devil. You know. You know what you did. You know know the mistakes that you made. You know what? The devil's trying to derail your potential by reminding you of your bad beginning. There's characters in the Bible that suffered with this too. Paul. Paul's one of the the guys who wrote the majority of the New Testament. Planted churches all over the place. Just like this one. Different cities. People that didn't know Jesus. Had never met Jesus. Paul preached the gospel, the good news. But he didn't start out that way. Paul started off serving God. He thought he was serving God by persecuting Christians. (coughs) By having them beaten, thrown in jail. And he even gave the order for execution of some Christians. This is who Paul was. And one day he's traveling to go persecute some more. And God shows up on the road and says, hey, why are you messing with me and my people? And from that moment on, Paul was converted and God began to use his life. And God does that all through the Bible. He uses people with messy resumes for his purposes and for his plan. It's almost like he's trying to tell us, hey, it doesn't matter what you've done. Your past is inconsequential. He's already settled it. He's already dealt with it. He's only concerned about your future. It's all he cares about. God has a purpose and a plan for each and every single one of us. We just got to stop listening to the lies of the devil. You know, Paul wanted to give up. He identified it. In Philippians, he said, man, I got to stop looking at the things from behind me, from the past. Got to stop looking at them keep my eyes on what's ahead of me. He's focused on the prize. He also said this in 1 Timothy. He said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength. How did he do that? That he considered me faithful. In other words, he saw something in Paul that Paul didn't even see himself. He said he appointed me to his service. In other words, he gave him something to do for him. He said, even though I was once a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. See, God changed his life, gave him a new beginning. That's what he'll do for you too. That's what he's done. So don't give up, even if things don't start off well. And then I think Joseph would tell you, don't give up on your dreams, even if those closest don't support you. Man, that's gotta be tough. I, I, I grew up in a family full of support. Everything I did, my parents and my family showed up to. My, my family showed up here today. They're here. My kids, you're out there somewhere too, aren't you? Oh, there, there they are. There. <laughs> Maybe they're here because they have to be, but I don't know. I think it's because they love me. I, I grew up with, with, in a supportive household. I live in a supportive household. But it doesn't mean I don't understand how exhausting it is when the people closest to you don't support you. It'll derail you. It'll keep you from believing in, the ability, in your ability to accomplish that dream. 
It'll stop you. Jesus even understood this. From Jesus' family to his entire community, they doubted him. In fact, at one point in time, Jesus is preaching, and his brothers show up and kind of poke fun at him a little bit and apologize to the crowd like, hey, we're sorry. He didn't really mean it. He's not really the son of God. Sorry. I don't know if they did all this stuff, but I'm just painting a picture for you. They said, we're, we're, and Jesus went into his hometown, and the Bible says he wasn't able to heal many people there because of their unbelief. They said this about them. They said in Mark 6, they said, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? They start naming off his brothers because they know him. Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Some of you understand exactly what I'm talking about. God gives you a vision for your life, gives you a dream to accomplish, and your family just sits there and crosses their arms and go, you? You? Oh, you're going to do that? Oh, God's going to use you? Come on. You? We know you. We've lived with you. You? And they'll take offense at that. And they took offense at Jesus, and they said to him, and Jesus said, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. Many of you are today, and you've experienced that rejection from your family. And, and it hurts. And, it, and, it, and it's probably derailed you to a point. Jesus experienced, Joseph experienced it too, like on a massive scale. After he shared his dream with his brothers, I know we read the story, and, we read, and we, if you're familiar with the story, you kind of gloss through it. But they sold him into slavery. And you're like, but yeah, but everything turned out okay in the end. Yeah, but for a while it was pretty terrifying. But for a while he was a slave. Some of you grew up and think you knew what that was like. I'm always slaving in my house, cleaning this and doing this for mom and dad. No, this dude lived as a slave. Didn't know where his next meal was coming from. Didn't know if the next person to speak to him would be kind or violent terrified, and in a foreign country far away from his family and those that loved him. He was human trafficked. That's some rejection. And he experienced it too. Joseph said, don't give up on your dreams even, even when your family don't support you, those closest to you don't support you. He'd also tell you, don't give up on your dreams if your journey's full of surprises. Now, as your pastor, it's my job to come alongside your spiritual journey and help you. And help you understand what your journey's gonna be like. Because I think a lot of people, when they come to Jesus, they feel like this is what's gonna happen. Everything gonna be okay. I said yes to Jesus. My life's gonna be all right. I ain't gonna have no more issues. My husband's gonna stop being a dirtbag. My kids are gonna start acting right. And everything's gonna be okay. I'm gonna be blessed in the city. I'm gonna be blessed in the field. I'm gonna be blessed when I come and when I go. I'm gonna be blessed. I'm always have money in my wallet, minutes on my cell phone. I'm always, I'm always gonna have it. So I said minutes on my cell phone. You can tell how old I am now, huh? Because <laughs> we used to have minutes on the plans. Some of you young people are like, what's minutes? I don't even use my phone, I just text, I don't know. <laughs> but that's not what it's like. It's not what the Christian life is like. That's not what life is like at all, Christian or not. If you think just because you signed up and said yes to Jesus that your life is going to go from point A to point B in a predictable pattern, I'm here to tell you it's not. 
I know that's the second time I've crushed your little heart today and I apologize for that. Not really. But I'm just tell, I'm telling you the truth because I love you. Your life is going to be some zigzags. It's going to be some ups and downs. Things are going to go well for a while and then they're not. Things are going to go forward and then you're going to go completely backwards in the opposite direction. That's how it happened for Joseph. Joseph would tell you, don't give up in those moments. Let's look at his life real quick. here's, Here's his story in a nutshell. First, Joseph has this dream and he's misunderstood by his entire family. Then, (coughs) Joseph gets sold into slavery to a man named Potiphar, who is in Egypt. And so now Joseph is living in a strange country far from home. Then, he gets into Potiphar's house, and because he's a man of God, he finds favor in Potiphar's eyes. And so Potiphar makes him like the head of his house. He's given favor in his house. Through this process, now when Potiphar leaves the house, Joseph is in charge. He's still a slave, but he's in charge. And one day while Potiphar is gone, on a regular basis, Potiphar's wife keeps coming up to Joseph and saying, come on, let's go fool around. Let, let's, let's go. Let, let's let's have, let, have sex with me. And Joseph looks at her and says, how can I dishonor God this way? And then how can I dishonor Potiphar, your husband, this way? He's given me so much favor and grace. How can I do that? And so he keeps telling her no until one day. When Joseph walks into a scene that I believe, if you know the story, was orchestrated by Potiphar's wife, there was nobody around. There's no other servants in the house. The word even says that. The Bible says that. Nobody else was around, which would have been unusual. And Joseph walks into the house, and she grabs him, and now she's not any longer tempting him and asking him. She grabs hold of him and demands, come lie with me, slave. And Joseph does exactly what the Bible tells us to do when we face sexual immorality. He ran. <laughs> Joseph got out of hand as quick as he could go. Some people say, well, how did he do that? He just let her have the cloak that he was holding. Some, some theologians say that Joseph ran naked out of the house. And he left his cloak behind. And he gave a definitive no. I like this particular passage. In fact, this is one of the first messages that I ever preached. When I was younger, I got invited to a youth ministry, and I called the message, run. Run. And it was based on the fact that when I was younger, I had a youth pastor who told me that. He called me into his office. I had just gotten into a relationship with a young lady. And he said, Aaron, come in here. And I said, yes, sir, Brother Joey. That's what we all called him. He said, sit down. I said, yes, sir. He said, Aaron, when I look into your eyeballs, do you know what, or when I look into your eyes, do you know what I see, Aaron? I said, no, sir, what do you see? I thought he was going to give me some kind of prophetic word. I thought he was going to tell me he saw something amazing in me, like I see the spirit of a lion. I think you're going to be a great conqueror. I think you're going to be a great minister. He said, you know what I see when I look in your eyes, Aaron? I said, no, sir, what do you see? He said, eyeballs, Aaron. I see eyeballs. (laughs) You're laughing at my life. This is what really happened. And then he said, Aaron, he he said, that young lady that you're in a relationship with, he said, let me tell you something. He said, you need to run. I said, run, sir. He said, yes, Aaron, you need to run. And he was right. I needed to run. I needed to run. And so I stood there in front of that youth ministry. And I said, guys, you need to run. And and I'm here to tell you, young people, if you find yourself in a predicament, even with somebody you want to be with, somebody that you care for, and you're in a dating relationship, and things get a little heated, let me tell you what you can do. Wherever you're at, you can get up and you can run. Like literally, 
Let me tell you something. It'll take care of a situation in a hurry. That's just for free. That was just to help you. <laughs> Moving on with Joseph. As a result of him refusing to sleep with Potiphar's wife, she falsely accuses him and says that he raped her. So he's falsely accused and then thrown into prison. And then Joseph is put in charge of the prisoners while he's there. He finds favor with the guard. He puts him in charge of all the other prisoners. <coughs> in the process of time, Joseph connects with a man who is Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's cupbearer, his chief cupbearer. And his chief cupbearer has a dream. And Joseph interprets the dream. And Joseph was right. And, on, and he, said, he predicted, based on the dream, that the cupbearer would be restored to his position and lifted out of jail. And when he tells him this, Joseph looks at him and says, hey, man, listen. He said, I know you're getting ready to go back to Pharaoh's court. He said, will you remember me? I'm here unjustly. Would you just say a word to Pharaoh? Would you, would you just help me find favor? Remember me. And the cupbearer says, oh, I'll remember you. No problem. Deuces and duck lips. I'm out. And then he forgets him. He forgets him. Two years go by. And he forgets him. And then Pharaoh has a dream. And it needs interpreting. And all of a sudden, the cupbearer remembers. Hey, I knew a guy. He's in prison. So Pharaoh calls him out. And Joseph interprets his dream. And as a result of it, he becomes the second in charge in all of Egypt. That's crazy, right? When you look at Joseph's life, that's crazy. There are nine events there. And there are more bad events, two times as many bad events as there were good events in this situation that span 23 years. Now, I want to start over with that list, and I want you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes. If you were in his situation, would you, A, give up or feel like giving up? Or would you feel motivated to go on? Or go on. You ready? Here we go. First one. First one, misunderstood by his family. Give up. Sold into slavery to Potiphar. Yeah. Living in a strange country far from home. Given favor in Potiphar's house. Yeah, go on. Falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. Give up. Thrown into prison. Give up. Put in charge of all the prisoners. Yeah. Things are going better. Forgotten by the chief cupbearer. Remained in prison two years longer. Interpreted Pharaoh's dream. Became second in command in Egypt. Go on. Your life is going to look the same as that. There's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be plenty of give up moments and plenty of go on moments. The question is, what will you do in those moments? Will you give up? Or will you go on? You say, Aaron, how did Joseph find the strength to go on? Aaron, how did you earlier this year, and you said you wanted to give up, how did you find the courage and the strength to go on? Same thing Joseph had done. Joseph knew something. And it wasn't necessarily a something that he knew. It was a person that he knew. See, he knew God. I think that's like the most important thing that we can do today. It's to know God. In fact, we've identified four things that God wants for his people all throughout his Bible. That means you here today too. He wants you to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. But all of that starts with knowing him. 
That's why it's so important to come to church on Sunday mornings. That's why it's so important to read your Bible. That's why it's so important for you to, to talk to him on a regular basis through something we call prayer. It's important that you know God. It is the most important thing that you can do is to know him. And Joseph knew him. And as a result of knowing him, he knew that he could trust him. And he found the strength to go on. Look at this in Romans 8, 28. This is a verse that encourages me all the time when I'm in the face of something that seems to be going the opposite direction that it should go. It says, 8, 28, Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God, now you could stop the verse right there. We know that in all things God, that in the good things, the bad things, the hard things, the easy things, the difficult things, the really terrible things, the unspeakable things, the mundane things, all things. Let me help you understand this theologically and clearly. If there was a circle and it had all written on it, do you know what would be contained in that circle? Everything. Because all means all. It's not, I'm not like being tricky with my words. It means all. God's in all things. He's in every single one of them. Not only is he in them, but it says in all things, God works. See, you missed a good, good opportunity to say amen or shout right there. Let, let, me just, let me just help you understand. See, I want God working for me. I don't know about you. I've had people work for me, and they do a good job, but I think God's going to do the best job. I think any job that you could do, God's going to do it better. I want him working for me. It says God works for the good of those who love him. Well, I love him. That means he's working for me in all things. This is what Joseph knew, that God's working on his behalf, who have been called according to his, watch this, purpose. Yeah. He's working it all out because he's got purpose in it. He, he's got purpose in it. We've all been called to a purpose, each and every single one of us. You might be headed in the wrong direction of that purpose right now, but God's at work. God's at work. And if you're going to be a go-on kind of person, we got to get to a place where we know position, that regardless of whether we're in the pit or we're in the palace, that God is at work. Because knowing that God is at work in all things will keep us from wanting to quit on our dreams, even if there's some surprises along the way. I think Joseph would also tell you, don't give up on your dreams, even if it takes a long time to realize it. You know, can you imagine Joseph? He's already lived a pretty long, long life that's not been really fair to him. Now he's unjustly placed in prison for being a man of integrity, for being a guy who would not sleep with another man's wife. He's unjustly incarcerated. And here he connects with this chief cupbearer who is now on his way out. Could you imagine the glimmer of hope that Joseph has? Oh, I got me a man that is going to be sitting right next to Pharaoh at all times. And this guy is going to grant me some favor and I'm going to get out of here. And I imagine that Joseph, like me and you, from the moment the cupbearer left and he said, I won't forget you. I'd have started staring at the clock, watching the door, looking for the handle to jiggle a little bit. Is, is, is it going to be now? Is this the moment? Did he tell Pharaoh about me now? Did he have the opportunity today? And as the hours go by, I see Joey sitting there so excited, bouncing a little bit. I'm getting out of here. I'm getting out of here. Sing a little song that I'm just making up on the spot. It's getting out. 
And as the minutes turned into hours and the hours turned into days, the days into weeks and the months, there's a transition on the scene of Joseph's life and it's bright and colorful. Looks like a SpongeBob slide. And there's a French guy that says, two years later. Is Joey still staring at the clock? Is he still staring at the door? It's taking a long time. Two years is a long time to wait when you feel like you're at the end of, your, of, the, of the journey that stinks so bad, the part that has been so painful. But it hadn't been just two years. It had been 23 from the age of 17 to the age of 40 when he winds up in the palace. It's been 23 years. That's a long time. And Joseph ends that season by, determ by determining a dream that Pharaoh has, which is kind of crazy in and of itself. I don't, I don't want to get into it. You should read it. It's, in, it's good in your Bible. And the interpretation of the dream is that there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And Joseph says, you know what, if I were you, I would just go ahead and start saving up all the grain that you can now so that when we get to the seven years of famine, everybody will come to you and buy from you. And Pharaoh says, I like that. Why don't you go ahead and do that? And he puts him second in charge. And the end of Joseph's journey, the, the, the dream is realized, it is accomplished. And God did it. And that's the fun part. Well, look at that story. And we can bypass the 23 years of terror, the uncertainty, the pain that Joseph experienced. We can bypass all that because we know the end of the story. But for you, do you know the end of your story? Do you have that kind of confidence in your life that God will do the same? Because it will. The dream and the vision that God has given you for the life, he's going to see it, for your life, he's going to see it come to pass. It's just what do you do in the slump? What do you do in the prison? What do you do while you're hanging out? In the middle of the story, in the pit, what do you do? The answer is found here in Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 3. It says, these things I plan, this is God speaking, won't happen right away. Man, we hate that. We're not in a culture today that likes that. Not right away? Not my way right away? What? And then he goes on to describe how it's going to happen. Slowly, steadily. Surely. Man, if there are any three words that I hated in a particular order, it would be those. Come on, somebody, don't judge my life. You're there too. We're like slowly, steadily, surely. Not when it comes to answers. Not when it comes to a relief of pain or discomfort in our lives. We don't like that. He says, but the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. Do you know, what you need to know about God is that he often moves slowly before he moves suddenly. That was free. It says, if it seems slow, do not despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. And truly, if there was any word that I could take a Sharpie to and mark out in the Bible, it would be that one, wouldn't it? Yeah. That word patient is all through the Bible. And when you look at it, it seems like God is like intent on working that out in your life to make you patient. You say, why would he do that? Well, because he cares more about your character than he does your comfort. He loves you. And he's at work in you. That's what patience does. It works something in you. So Joseph would tell you, hang in there. Don't give up. 
even when it takes a long time, because it will. It might, certainly longer than you think. God's not slow in fulfilling his promises, not at least in the way that we think he's slow. And so as Joseph heads back up into the stands, he's done running his lap with us. Here's some final words I'd say he'd give you. First, he'd tell you, focus on what happens in you, not to you. God is using all of the things that are happening in your life, good and the bad, for your betterment. Now, that does not equate to happiness and dollars in your pocket, but that's what we want it to equate to. No, God is doing a work in you that is very different. God is taking his chisel, and he is chiseling and breaking things off of your life. He is working on you, molding you, and making you into the person he needs you to be when you get to your destination. There's a process that he is putting you through to remove selfishness, to remove arrogance. He is putting you through a process to break off attitudes. And that process that you're going through involves you. You can either resist it or you can get on board. I promise you, if you resist it, it will take longer for you to get through the process. It, don't resist it. If you want, to, want it to go faster, here's one thing you can do. Learn what he's trying to teach you. Be teachable. Be humble enough. That's, that's what a lot, where a lot of us struggle. We're not teachable anymore. We're adults. Can't tell me nothing. God's trying to teach you something. And if you're willing to say, God, teach me, I think it's one of the greatest prayers you can pray. It certainly was for me. Once I knew God had called me to, do the, to plant this church, it took me a year and a half of a process to get through. And I still didn't know when I was going to be able to realize it, when I was going to actually be able to do it. No idea. And I was working for a man. He was a, he was a hard man to work for. I loved him, but he was a hard man to work for. And every day I drive to work, I said, God, I can't stand this place. I don't want to work here. And at some point in time, I realized, you're trying to teach me something. So my prayer became, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for being so stupid. Teach me whatever it is you want to teach me so I can get on out of here. Show me whatever it is. I'll learn it. That's a wise prayer. I'm not patting myself on the back. It took me a long time to figure out that that's the prayer I needed to pray, to learn the lessons I needed to learn. <coughs> but if you'll get on board for the lesson he's trying to teach you, it'll go faster. But that's not us. Most of us aren't focused on the lesson. We aren't focused on what God is doing in us. We're focused on what's happening to us. And the prayers we pray look like this. God, make it stop. I'm in a lot of pain. This is uncomfortable for me. I don't really want it. Take it away. Make it stop. And God's not going to do that because he's using it to form you. It's okay to ask him to remove it, but you need to be patient when he doesn't. And trust him that what you're going through is a process because he's doing something in you. Like clay, he is molding you. The Bible talks about us, the, be, him being the potter and us being the clay. Anybody remember art class? Do you ever take mess with clay in art class? Man, that's a lot of fun. But clay goes through a process before it can ever be put on the wheel and, 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 and be molded in, into something. It gets soaked in a bucket, drowned in water. You pull it out, and then what, you know what happens to clay before it even gets worked on? It gets slammed around, smacked on a table as hard as you can. You know why? There's air bubbles in it, and if you don't do that, you can work with the clay all day, and as soon as you put it into the fire to firm it up, it'll break. You have to go through the unpleasant process of slamming the clay around. You being the clay, you got to go through a process so that God can make you stronger, so that he can use you for what he intends to use you for. And then when he gets you on the wheel, 
The clay doesn't get to look up at the potter and complain about the way that the potter is making it. The clay's job is to be moldable, is to be pliable, to be teachable, to be formed and made in the way the potter intends to make it. And if he finds that it's not, he'll put it through a process again. (laughs) So I encourage you, focus on what's happening in you, not what's happening to you. Ask him to teach you. Learn it so you can move on. Here it is in scripture. You're going to be so glad you came to church today. This is going to be so encouraging for you. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Not right now, by the way. Just notice it says ahead. Even though you have to endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purified gold. That's how gold is purified. It's put in hot fire. The impurities raised to the top. They, they skim it off, and the gold is purified. He says, you're more important than that. He says, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Yeah, there it is in Scripture. I know you want to see it again, so let me show it to you in another place. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials and of many kinds. Some of you were hoping it said, consider it pure joy when somebody delivers a pizza to your house like, or gives you a Chipotle burrito. Like, this is, this is pure joy. But you say, when I face trials, when I face tribulations, consider it pure joy when you face these trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops, oh, here's this word, perseverance. It's what we're after today, right? It's the ability to go on in the face of, diverse, of, of, of difficult consequence. No one celebrates their trials. That just doesn't even seem right. But the Bible says that God is at work in them. And since we know, since we know him, we can focus on what's going on in us, not to us. Next thing Joseph would say as he bids us farewell is that your response to offense determines your future. <coughs> your response to offense determines your future. Joseph's in a situation where he's now in charge, and his brothers come to him to buy grain. They don't recognize that it's him. He's in Egypt wearing Egyptian clothes, and it's been 23 years since they've seen him. They assume he's dead. And Joseph, Joseph would have been tempted just like me to do exactly this when he saw his brothers. And his brothers come in to buy from him, and what do they do? They bowed. And in the moment when they bowed and Joseph realizes that his dream has come to life and has been realized, if I were Joseph, I would have said, I knew it! Ha-ha! <laughs> Rub their nose in it. Told ya! See? And then he might have been tempted to inflict harm on them because now he was in a position to do so. He does toy with them a little bit. That part I like. It's kind of satisfying to watch him toy with them a little bit. You read the story, you'll find out what it does. But he could have exacted revenge then and there, and he didn't. And many of us wouldn't have passed up that opportunity. But Joseph, Joseph unburdened that grudge. He didn't carry that offense. And here today, there's many of you that are carrying offenses. You're carrying a grudge towards someone. And you need to forgive them. Because that, that offense that you're carrying around is, is affecting your future and you don't even realize it. It's causing you to behave in ways, to think in ways that are unhealthy for you and for those that you're, 
that you're, that you're acting out towards. I promise you that God has something better for you. Because unforgiveness is like you drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. It's not healthy. It's toxic for you. Unburden your offenses. Forgive them. Even if they don't deserve it. Even if they haven't said sorry and owned what they did to you. Uh, unburden your heart and forgive them. Trust God like Joseph. And in the face of that hurt, Joseph said this to his brothers. When they, when they realized who he was, because Joseph reveals himself to them, they realized they're in a world of hurt. They're in his country. They're under his rule. And he can kill them if he wants to. And that's exactly what they did to him. They sentenced him to death by sending him off into the slave trade. And Joseph said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And you need to understand that the harm people have caused you, God intends it for good in your life. And you need to forgive them. I think your response to offense determines your future. And the last thing Joseph would say, and, and don't check out on me, just kind of hang with me for two or three minutes. The last thing Joseph would say is that every dream has tough times. You see, that's a reality check, Aaron. That, that's just your life. Every dream, every God-given <laughs> Or every dream that you've just put in your head and said, this is what's going to happen. Every dream has tough times. But I like reading a sentence and seeing a but. I mean, B-U-T. I do. Because generally when you see a but, that means that whatever was just previously said, there's going to be an antidote. There's going to be a reciprocation on the other side. Things are going to change. That every dream has difficult times, but remember God is always with you. See, why does that matter? Why do we need to remember that? Because I think we forget that. I think we forget that because at times it doesn't feel like God is with us. I think we forget that because it doesn't feel like in this moment right now that he's with us. Because how many of you would, would identify just, just in, in somebody sitting with you today? That proximity of somebody that you know makes you feel better. It strengthens you, especially in difficult things, to have somebody standing with you. It's different than when you go through it alone. And many of you feel alone. But regardless of how you feel, I promise there's one thing you can trust, is that God is with you. The very nature of who God is is that he is spirit and he is what we call omnipresent. It means he's everywhere all at once. There's not a place you can go. David described him and said, in him we live and move and breathe and have our being. God is with you. David also poetically said it this way. In Psalms 139, he said, if I go up to the heavens, you're there. That's the top of the journey, right? That's when everything's going well. He said, if I make my bed in the depths, you're there. The lowest points. He said, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, that's the journey to the top. If I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. God is with you. And some of you just need to receive that today. That's the only thing you need to get out of this. Is that he's with you. He's not up in heaven shouting I love you from afar. He's with you. He's with you. I have a few more verses I'm going to read to you, but I, I just want you to just take a moment and receive them. Would you just close your eyes and just listen? 
Listen to these verses. Nothing weird's gonna happen. If this is your first time in church, something weird's gonna happen. I'm just gonna read these verses to you. But, but God's word is alive. It has the ability to transform our hearts. Some of you just need to receive this with your heart and not just your eyes and your ears today. Listen, Psalm 46, one, God is our refuge and strength then ever-present help in trouble. Isaiah 43, two, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Jeremiah 1.8, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Jeremiah 1.19, they will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Matthew 28.20, in the words of Jesus himself, speaking to his followers, that's you today. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. If you need encouragement today, just receive it. Just receive that encouragement today. I don't know what the darkness is in your life right now that you're going through, the dip in your journey, the pit stop in your dream, the prison that you find yourself contained in, whether that's your, on, on your job, opportunity after opportunity has eluded you and you keep getting passed over, or if it's in your finances, you just can't, you're struggling to make ends meet, or if it's a relational thing that is just not going the way that you intended for it to go and want it to go. I've got no idea. But today I want you to receive this from God, that he is with you. So, Father, today I pray that you would just let them be encouraged. Let them be encouraged and know that you are with them, that you are for them, that you are good, and that you're doing something in them through, through this process. I pray today, God, that, you would, that they would know you. This is the greatest prayer that I pray for this church, that they would know you and that they would have the grace to trust you more every day every day. Father, I pray that you would just bless them powerfully in this way today. Now, there are those of you in this room, too, that you would identify. You doubt God is with you, even, even though I'm telling you, even though you heard the verses. You doubt God is with you. In fact, you would, you would say that you feel far from God, and if I talk to you, you'd probably identify that you feel like there's like this barrier between you and God, like that you pray to him, but you just feel nothing in return. The Bible tells you what you're feeling is right. In Ephesians, it says that there's a barrier that exists between you and God because of our sin. And that God sent Jesus to deal with that barrier. The way he dealt with it was he offered his life as a sacrifice, as a substitution for our own. So that you and I wouldn't have to pay the penalty for our sins and our mistakes. Jesus paid it for us. He settled it. It's done. All you have to do in order to have that barrier removed is just receive. Receive what Jesus did for you. It's simple. And Jesus says, hey, once you receive it, the only thing I ask you to do from here on out is just, just live your life like I ask you to. I've designed you. I created you a certain way. I know how you work best. And I know how you'll experience life best. He says, I, I, I'll, I'll teach you. And so if you're here today and, and you want that barrier removed between you and God so that you can be in relationship with him, so that you can know him and know that he's with you, you have that opportunity. I'll pray a prayer and you can be included in on that prayer in just a moment. You just make the words your own. I'll tell you what to say. But there are others of you here that are in this room that meant this used to be your journey. You used to walk with God. And maybe because of offense or 
because of a pain or a hurt, a situation that didn't go your way. Maybe, maybe you're like me. You know, I walked away from God when things weren't going my way when I was younger. It was hard to come back. It was embarrassing. I felt silly because in the end, I, I really saw that God had been with me the whole time. But I'm here to tell you there's nothing to be embarrassed about. There's nothing to feel silly about. God's not mad at you. He knew that would happen. He's just waiting on you to come home. And he's not waiting on you to come home like a parent sitting on a couch ready to yell at a teenager for being late for a curfew. He's a good father standing on the front porch waiting to see the, the white in your eyes so that he can run out and embrace you and love you and welcome you home. So if you need to be welcomed home today, come on back. You can join us with this prayer. So if you're here in this room today and you say, Aaron, that's me. I got to pray that prayer. I need to pray that prayer for the first time or maybe you just need to come back home. I'm going to give you the words to pray. And if you want to be included on that prayer, would you just say, Aaron, that's me. Would you just slip your hand up and say, that's me right now. That's me. Count me in on that. I'm in. Right now. Do it now. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. I'm proud of you. It's awesome. You can put your hand down. Anybody else? Anybody else? That's an amazing thing. Church, we're going to pray. Everybody prays together, so nobody's praying alone. We're going to welcome people into, into God's family or welcome them home today. But let's pray together. Say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God, and I need you. I give you my life. Forgive me for my sins. Make me brand new. Show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.